want to invite you to keep that text in front of you for the next few moments, Romans 8. And I want us to think carefully this morning about the nature of hope. What is our hope? Not just any sort of flippant or garden variety expression of hope, but specifically, how do the scriptures think about hope? How do they demonstrate hope? How do they model hope for us? So that we might be a people who learn to wait with hope. If we take a brief kind of survey of the Romans 8 passage here, you'll see uh, in Romans 7 there's this great struggle Paul is describing between the flesh and the spirit, between being bound to things like death and sin, but then there's this incredible moment of liberation that Paul describes through the work of Jesus Christ, who saves us, who adopts us, who brings us in to, to sonship in the family of God. And it's remarkable as we move from the beginning of Romans 8, there's this sense of despairing and being in bondage and in crying out for, for rescue. By the end of chapter 8, which we won't make it to this morning, but I'd encourage you to look at yourselves. By the end of chapter 8, there's this unassailable confidence in the person and the work of Jesus. That there is this power at work within us that is the source of our hope. This morning, though, our passage here in verses 18 to 25 puts us kind of right in the middle of moving out of that bondage and into that confidence that hope brings as we wait. It's the already but not yet expression of hope. So I want to consider in these few verses three things that Paul says about how we grow in hope together. And the first in verse 18 is Paul's way of, of kind of introducing a math problem of sorts. Let's see if I can move us forward here. We have the privilege of living in a neighborhood with two math teachers, one across the street on either side from us. So hopefully they'll appreciate this bit of calculus in verse 18. Paul says, I want you to, to, to come up with a mathematical expression together with me here. To, to consider or calculate, verse 18 says, two different things. And on the, the first side of that equation, he says, try to imagine with me, try to, to sum up, if you can, all of the present sufferings of this broken down world. Calculate, if you can, all the divorces, all the divisions, all the pandemics, all the failures, all the insults, all the injustices, even the, the reality of death and disappointment itself. And if you add all that up, it begins to feel overwhelming, right? It's this staggering sum, sometimes called the, the problem of evil. That some may feel especially great this year when it seems like our present sufferings keep multiplying or changing or being extended. This particular side of the equation, our present sufferings, is the one we're, we're closest to, we're most familiar with. And for that reason, it often feels inordinately large and heavy. But in verse 18, Paul says, 
We know our present sufferings, but I want you to compare them with, to consider them against the other side of reality, the other side of this equation. He says, I want you to get closer to a day when the glory of God will be revealed in us. A day when, when the reign and rule and redemptive power of Jesus that he's been describing here in Romans will bring the reality of heaven to earth, Paul says. Try to just glimpse even the, the smallest bit of that reality, Paul says. And he says your, your spiritual calculus, your spiritual calculator will explode. Because we would see, if we could fully appreciate these two values, that the two are not, in fact, comparable. The glory of God to be revealed in us, Paul knows, is massive, it's expansive, it's heavy, it's weighty, it's eternal, it's certain, it is infinite in scope. And so for us to have hope we need to get closer to that reality. We need to, to form a greater conception and consideration of the glory of our God in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, that's a challenge for most of us, though, because we're more familiar with our sufferings than we are with the promised glory of God being revealed. And so in order to, to help us grow in our understanding, in our appreciation of God's glory, Paul wants us to notice a particular sound. And that may seem strange to us, but he says if we can hear this sound, then we can also begin to grow in hope. And he says it is a sound, it is a kind of music we discover first in the creation itself, in the world that surrounds us. Starting all the way back in Genesis 3, as Adam and Eve plunge the world into sin and the, the death and curse that results from their disobedience, we're told that not only do human beings suffer, but creation comes under that curse also. The natural world, instead of having its desires and designs fulfilled in, in the fruitfulness that God intended for Eden. Instead, creation is subject, right, to thorns and thistles, right? Its desires are frustrated, Paul says. And creation is enslaved. It's put into bondage to things like death and decay. Paul wants us to know that we are not the only ones enduring this present suffering. Right? Creation has its own burden that it's bearing. Now you might say, none of that sounds very hopeful, Dave. Right? Isn't this supposed to help us grow in hope? But in verse 22, Paul wants us to pay attention to how creation responds to its subjugation, to its bondage, to its present sufferings. Paul says, if we listen to, if we notice 
the creation that surrounds us, we hear it is making a particular sound. Paul says, all creation is groaning. Verse 22, it is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this very moment. Creation, Paul says, sounds like a woman in childbirth who's nearing the end of that labor and delivery process. She's entered transition and and she is about to, to, to bring that child into the world. There is an anticipation in its groaning. An expectation. A longing for this greater thing to come forth from a period of great intensity and difficulty and suffering. And what we need to understand, Paul says, is that groaning is in fact the sound of hope. Groaning is a prerequisite to hope. You can't get to hope without entering into this work, this soundtrack of groaning. If you think about groaning, groaning is not grumbling. It's not complaining or just agonizing over that which is broken. It's not blaming, right? Groaning is this unique mixture of both suffering and difficulty and yearning and straining. But in groaning, we also hear desire and we hear longing mixed into that process. Groaning acknowledges two things at the same time. Groaning means that there's some crazy intense pain right here, right now. But it also looks forward with these sort of pangs of glory. It looks forward to what is coming, longing for it to be here soon, to be here now. Right? Groaning opens up this space to really desire the way things should be, the way things will be, according to the promise of our God. Paul says we need to hear the hope in creation's groaning. When I was a a kid, we had a dog named Chewy. He was a a Lhasa Apsa. He was not very large. But when my brother and I sometimes would get into fights, you know, wrestling matches, or something was sort of out of place in the house, he could sense something was wrong, there was some kind of commotion, he would come charging into the room and he would come as close as he could to the person who was crying or was in pain or was frustrated and he would begin to howl there in the house. And he would continue howling for as long as that person was crying. And I think in a way this was his way of groaning. It was his way of expressing that longing to see things put right. Things reestablished, right? For shalom to break forth again in our household. The world God has made expresses its grief, its brokenness, in its groaning, but it's also expressing that as a practice in hope. And I can remember as my dog would, would howl, 
There were a few occasions where I cried along with them, and we were sort of this symphony of groaning and howling and crying together. But something about that process was strangely hopeful and healing to me as a kid. Right? You had this, this person entering into your groaning, or at least this animal uh, that was like a, a family member entering into groaning together with you. In verse 23, Paul tells us that not only are we meant to hear and to see the groaning of creation, longing for its redemption, but we are meant to groan as well. In particular, we, Paul says, who have the first fruits, the deposit, the down payment of the Holy Spirit within us. He says we're meant to groan along with along for, in partnership with creation, because we too are still waiting. He says we're waiting to be fully adopted, to be fully redeemed, to, to put on our new bodies and our new creation reality and enter into the glory of becoming the sons and daughters of God. You and I have to learn how to groan along with the Holy Spirit in order to grow in hope. If you feel like growing in hope, if you are lacking in hope, then I would ask you, are you willing to groan with the Spirit of God today? Are you willing to to groan and long for more of His glory, a greater and deeper understanding of what He desires for you right now? Are we willing to lament and to grieve and to to howl over what is truly broken. But also to get closer to the Spirit and to the presence of God and what He is revealing in us even now. This process of groaning is both painful but also immensely hopeful. I want to share a a brief uh, testimony with you. Throughout these four weeks of Advent, uh, I've been asking various family members of the JCC family, can't seem to get this to advance, but that's okay, uh, about these different areas of how we experience this season of waiting. And so I asked uh, Jeff and Sean Johnson to share with us how they have been growing in hope this year. And I wanted to share the thoughts they recorded for us with you. Hello, we're Sean and Jeff Johnson. The Advent season has just begun, and this is the first week of Advent. The theme for this week is hope, and we've been asked to share a few thoughts about hope. As we look at current events, it can be easy to worry and to lose hope. But our hope as Christians is not based on political parties, COVID vaccines, solving social issues, the stock market, or the weather. Our hope is rather based upon God's grace and mercy and his power and love. Over the years, our family has faced some medical, financial, and relationship struggles, but God has proven himself faithful and always worthy of our hope. In Romans chapter 5, we read, Through Jesus Christ, we have obtained access to the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. At our wedding, we had a friend sing a praise song that was written from Psalm 33. The lyrics are, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in thee. It is our prayer that all of us continue to put our hope and trust in the Lord today and tomorrow. And just as people in the Old Testament voiced and wrote about the, their hope for the coming Messiah, we too hold on to and express our hope this Advent season because of Jesus. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. I want to finish our time in this passage this morning, uh, here in verses 24 25, by pointing us toward prayer. And in verse 24, we're, we're told that we have been saved into this great hope. Right? Paul's going back a few verses earlier. He says, creation was subjected, it was almost cursed into a place of hoping and waiting, waiting for us to become God's sons and daughters, to be his true children. But then in verse 24, he says, we have not been cursed into hope. We've been saved. We've been redeemed into this new hope in which we now stand. So let us, let us grow in our hope. Right? Grow toward that future reality of glory God is bringing. His healing, his wholeness, his communion with his, present, his spirit that's present in us. Paul says to be a follower of Jesus is to have this hope. But he says by definition, hope is something promised, something on the way, something not yet visible. We can only sort of intuit and, and feel it and sense it and groan for it with the Spirit's help. Promise of hope is something we do not yet fully possess. So he says, we must wait patiently. We must let hope fill up that time of waiting with eagerness and anticipation. So I want to uh, ask our worship team to, to play some music for us quietly over the next four or five minutes. Uh, and in place of their singing, I would invite you into a time of prayer now. If you're alone, you can pray quietly in your own space. If you're together with family this morning, I would invite you to pray for one another. And if you're here worshiping in the church, pray with those you're gathered together with. I won't direct your prayer uh, beyond this. I would ask in this next five minutes as you, as you enter into prayer to both acknowledge where there is present suffering to bring that to the Lord, but also to ask God to reveal his glory, right? His anticipation, his expectation, right? His healing power in those places of suffering. I pray into both of those things together now.
as the body of Jesus this morning. you pray together with me as we bring our prayers and petitions before the Lord together. Lord, we are grateful that you have placed your spirit in us to cry out to you, that you make intercession through us, for us, for our own needs and concerns, but also on behalf of our brothers and sisters who we are one body with. 
Lord, I want to pray this morning for Phyllis Van Horn and the whole Van Horn family. Lord, we pray that you would bring them your strength and your peace as Phyllis has lost both her mother and father in the past few days. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them as they are together with one another. That they would know that space of both bringing their grief to you, but also encountering your glory together with them. And the promise of the glory yet to be revealed. Lord, we pray for Jan and Steve Shanks. We pray for Steve as he is recovering from surgery in Boston at Mass General. Lord, we pray for his care, for his continued recovery. Lord, we pray for our teachers and students who are re-entering the classroom tomorrow and in the weeks ahead. Pray for our college students who are finishing final exams. Lord, we pray for endurance, we pray for your protection, we pray for your encouragement in their spirits. And Lord, would you grow together in all of us a greater sense of your hope. That what you have promised is coming to pass. Lord, help us to enter into that present and also is yet coming reality today. Do you lead our spirits now in worship together? In Jesus' name, amen.